this is an opportunity for us. Unfortunately, this is the circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. But it is an opportunity for us as a community to come together and take care of each other mm-hmm. and to know we stand together against the disease as opposed to we stand against each other, mm-hmm. um, which does nothing to make the disease less scary. Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you stuff. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hey everyone, welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, and this episode is all about coronavirus, which is, as I'm sure you know, a huge topic right now. Uh, Just some recent stats. As of March 2nd, more than 90,000 cases have been confirmed worldwide, and there have been over 3,000 fatalities. The death rate of people who get the coronavirus, or COVID-19 as it's known, is around 2 to 3%, and that's primarily people with compromised immune systems, uh, younger and older people, in addition to the economic consequences and the health consequences. There are also social consequences of the disease, and that's what this episode is all about. So I'm speaking today. Um, I talked with her eight days ago, actually, uh, with Dr. Sherry Wang. Uh, Sherry Wang is an assistant professor of counseling psychology at Santa Clara, and she was recently featured in the San Francisco Chronicle article about the social effects of coronavirus. Her research focuses on cultural factors in ethnic minority health disparities, such as the role of acculturation, stigma, and oppression in risky behaviors or looking at barriers to care for African Americans living in the Deep South. She co-directs the organization Research Initiative on Social Justice and Equity, which is a national team of faculty, students, and community members committed to addressing issues of systematic inequalities. And so in this conversation, we jump right into some of the most pressing questions surrounding the social impact of coronavirus. How should we respond? How should we treat each other? What are common misperceptions? How should we prepare? I really encourage you to listen to this conversation until the end because uh, Dr. Wang's final piece of advice for us and how we treat each other surrounding the coronavirus is some of the most wise and timely advice I've ever heard. And as Sherry says, instead of calling each other out in fear and discrimination, let's call each other in for community. So please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Sherry Wang. So to start out, could you just explain how you got involved with the coronavirus and um, writing and talking about it? Yeah, sure. I responded actually to an email actually from Santa Clara University's provost's office and diversity um, of inclusion writing to really say it was a, it was an email to the faculty listserv um, to say, hey, you know, given what we're seeing right now with with um coronavirus now called COVID-19, let's be mindful of how our our Chinese students particularly feel, um, given that there may be issues of of feeling, you know, safety and discrimination. And I thought that was such a beautiful email. Um, And because it was an email that that really allowed us to talk about um, the ways in which we may be unintentionally making our campus unsafe, I thought, let's take it one step further, which we should, um, to really understand the context of what happens any time in our history that we've had infectious diseases. And just even thinking about the last decade, 
communicate with with SARS, uh, with bird flu, with swine flu, with Ebola, with Zika, um, that these have all been diseases that have really been racialized mm. of this this happens to exotic people. This happens mm. to foreigners who are away from us. Um, and so then the racism and the discrimination that happens, not only for people who um, are non-white, right? Mm-hmm. Black, brown, uh, Asian communities, but the sense of like foreigner, outsider, um, dirty, disease, mm-hmm. kind of xenophobic attitude and sentiments. So I guess I emailed because I really wanted us to have a context beyond let's be good people, mm-hmm. which I think we all try to be, um, even even the most racist, right? Explicitly racist people, I think, don't think of themselves as bad people or bad moral characters, and, and I'm sure they're not. Mm-hmm. But you know, in times of uncertainty and panic, particularly over our safety and our health, mm-hmm. um, we're going to respond instinctually. And to know then that the context of how we responded as a society has been to discriminate and to blame. Mm-hmm. And we do that especially based on racial profiling without mm-hmm. knowing that. So I thought it would be important for us to know the history and the context so that with this, we know that when we look at somebody who looks Asian, we think, oh my gosh, you must have this disease. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, that we know that that actually comes from a racial and a racist socialization that's not new. It's not because we're bad people. It's not only with COVID-19. We've always been socialized to think about um, other people as kind of the diseased and, and the dirty and the othered. And so if we have that knowledge and that context, how can we do things differently then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess what, what is then um, an example of maybe like a, a bad and a good way to respond and kind of in that social context, right? What's an appropriate response to, you know, like, for example, seeing someone with a mask or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, I think the mask is such a good example of mm-hmm. um, how that's been exoticized, actually, mm-hmm. because, you know, traditionally and, and in Asian countries and societies, even now, people put on masks as a health preventative behavior, right? So people usually wear it in places like hospitals and um, large public spaces, public transportation, uh, you know, so because it's a way of not only protecting themselves from pollution, right, or, or maybe bad air, but also if you're sick, it's a way of being conscientious so that you don't, um, you don't spread anything to other people. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually a very proactive, right, healthy prevention behavior. But, but with SARS, Uh, with COVID-19, actually, that's been almost something that people now target to be like, oh my gosh, you're diseased, and Mm -hmm. and to shun and to be afraid of and to discriminate people who are actually wearing masks, actually, to protect themselves and others. Mm -hmm. So I think the the exoticizing piece is a really important piece that um, we need to understand as part of our reactiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that reactiveness is not just to people who are not Asian, right? Mm-hmm. Even people who are Asian, and I mean, I identify as Chinese and Taiwanese American, um, that I have this reactiveness when somebody Asian looking mm-hmm. um, maybe sneezes or coughs to be like, oh, you know, there's a, a, a sphere reaction. And then I really have to think really hard. Um, and I think that's the internal work mm-hmm. is that we should be scared of anybody who is sneezing or, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, or sick or may have flu symptoms. But is it extra? Am I being extra with somebody that I'm racially profiling and assuming like you you must have COVID-19? Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that I have been um, saying um, very explicitly is, would you have the same reaction to somebody who's white? Mm-hmm. If you are, then that is a good preventative health action to take of 
stepping away, which we should. Somebody sneezes, we want to get out of their their space, right? You don't want to be in that zone of, of that splash zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would I feel differently though if they were a different race? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would add not only you know what if they were white? What if they were white and American? And I think that the American part is about the citizenship part, about the non-exoticizing part where we think like this must be a foreigner. Mm-hmm. And um, so this disease and them must come from the outside. And so I think I, I am trying really hard to socialize myself or re-socialize myself to be reflective of those things so that I'm not perpetuating the racism. But I'm still honoring my fear reaction because I, mm-hmm. I do think we need to protect ourselves. And with the way that COVID-19 is evolving right now with the outbreaks in Italy um, and uh, Korea, South Korea, and then this morning Brazil had its first mm-hmm. case, you know, um, I think it's it's evolving in such a way where it's not just going to be people who look Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, that that we presume will um, be sick. And so if we are going to continue to engage in racial profiling, it's actually going to hurt us. We are actually going to get mm-hmm. sick by people who don't look like who we think um, the, the disease would affect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might put ourselves in situations and when we're like, ah, oh, this person probably hasn't been to China, probably mm-hmm. not affiliated with, the, with COVID-19, and then we're exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how concerned should people be um, with the current information. It's February 26th today. Um, And and kind of thinking about, like, you've done mostly thinking about kind of the social consequences, right? But we've also seen, like, economic consequences with, like, global uh, markets and then as well as just, like, uh, health consequences. Like, how is it, do do you think it's it's overblown or should, do people have due reason to be concerned? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this, this, we've always had epidemics, right? There's always, I mean, the flu is something that we have every year. Um, and, and so I think, you know, this is not new necessarily, um, but the way in which COVID-19 is progressing so quickly um, medically, right, is, is also because we are just, we are so much more fluid globally. Like we travel so much now. And so really in times of um Pandemics, right? Which is when when multiple countries, right, um, are facing kind of the outbreaks. Um, usually, you close down borders, right? Usually, you quarantine. Um, but it's hard to do that when we have so much trade and we have import and export and so much um, travel. Actually, even even as citizens, right? Um, and so, closing borders is not necessarily going to. It's, it can't be the the resolution. Um, and so we have to engage in, in other strategies too. And, and this is going to be something that affects all of us. I mean, it already is. Was it last month or a couple weeks ago, uh, Santa Clara County already declared an emergency um, over COVID-19. And I think San Francisco did yesterday to really say we need to allocate resources. So it is happening. The issue, and I think that's been the the um, updated, evolving mm-hmm. um, news with COVID-19 is that it's an, not a matter of if it's going to happen to us, it's when mm-hmm. um, and how severe. And so how can we slow down the process of the pandemic as opposed to how do we make sure it doesn't happen to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's tougher, too, because uh, you can spread it without exhibiting symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. And so how I, I actually don't 
I don't know that much about the the health side of it, but but do you know like what a what an end I guess would look like? And because it seems it seems difficult for it to end if you know it's a couple weeks before anyone shows mm-hmm. symptoms and then it can spread so easily. And I think that's the challenge is that we mm-hmm. we don't know that, and I mm-hmm. certainly that's not an area that I could speak on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's also the the scary part of it is that it's not mm-hmm. fatal for everybody, and it spreads differently for um, for different folks as well. Um, so I think all we can do is actually prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from a health perspective, you know, CDC has a lot of guidelines and recommendations, things like washing your hands, don't mm-hmm. touch your face. Um, I think of this also, you know, my husband and I were just talking about it last night that we need to prepare for this um, the way we would for earthquakes mm-hmm. or for hurricanes. Um, we've both lived in the South before. So thinking about things like have enough food supply at home and water. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have, you know, babies, have diapers, you know, mm-hmm. have um have the things that you're going to need so that if there is an outbreak in in our surrounding communities where it's like, well, you can't go grocery shopping for the next mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Um, school is closing for the next week, right? The mm-hmm. public spaces are actually going to be affected where you shouldn't be going out. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you're like, I think I'm getting sick. I really shouldn't be going out. Mm-hmm. Then you can stay home and, and have the things that you need for mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. I think we need to be preparing in that way um, mm-hmm. just in case because of how asymptomatic this could be and yet how quickly this could spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are there any common like misperceptions or things that people often assume that maybe aren't true about the coronavirus? Well, and I think that's the, the evolving piece is that this is no longer something that people can racially profile mm-hmm. and, and they could before, which I also didn't agree with because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that we've seen so many cases of racism worldwide um, against um not just Chinese people, although that's mm-hmm. wrong too, but Asians broadly, right? If you mm-hmm. look like you could be from China or have some connection to China, um, people were were being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a problem. But, but I think there's a, a heightened level of problem now, which is not everyone who has COVID-19 is going to look like that. Mm-hmm. And so we have to figure out different ways to engage in um, protecting ourselves, mm-hmm. um, without racially profiling. Because actually before that was just don't hurt other people. Now mm-hmm. it's it's gonna hurt you if the mm-hmm. only people that you target in your mind as people who are sick mm-hmm. or in disease or infected look a certain way, then you're not gonna protect yourself from people who don't look that way. Mm-hmm. When you see people who don't have you know, black hair or brown eyes, mm-hmm. right, who have Asian features, you're gonna think, it's okay, I don't have to wash my hands as much. Oh, they sneezed, but I don't have to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually gonna put you at greater risk for being sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'm I'm curious as well just about how you kind of decide like what to what to work on or focus on because it seems like you've you've had a lot of different uh, emphases kind of all around um, the idea of of social justice and a lot of different uh, permutations I guess but how yeah how do you decide what what to work on or what's what's interesting to you? Well, you know my um, doctoral training and my specialization was in immigrant refugee mental mm-hmm. health and that comes from my own lived experience as an immigrant, um, as children of immigrants, um, and thinking about just how diverse my community of, of Asian or specifically Chinese um, immigrants are. And um, I think a lot of the work I do centers on a reflection of my own privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and people think of privilege these days as a really bad word. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people actually end friendships and relationships mm-hmm. because it's used 
as an attacking term, like, mm-hmm. oh, you're so privileged. Um, and, and, and it becomes a sword to hurt people mm-hmm. um, or for us to feel bad about ourselves. And I, I think privilege is not inherently a bad thing. Um, it means power. And, and so if we're aware of the power that we have, then we can share our power to those who have less access and less resources. You know, I think one of the reasons that I have been so vocal about COVID-19 has been because of how much my work has shifted and is moving towards HIV. Mm. Um, that, you know, nowadays HIV is no longer a death sentence. Mm-hmm. We can actually prevent HIV. We can treat HIV. People living with HIV can have quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we still actually see that black and brown communities worldwide actually um, experience still the worst outcomes in terms of access to treatment, mm-hmm. the kind of quality of care they get in treatment, and then therefore their their retention and care. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think HIV then for me is an example of how even when we have a lot of biomedical advancements, mm-hmm. it's not really about the science. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about mm-hmm. these things like stigma, right? Mm-hmm. That people feel like, well, I can't go to the doctor or mm-hmm. that doctors and, and kind of the healthcare system inadvertently um, treats people differently on the basis mm-hmm. of race, um, sexual orientation, or sexual behaviors, and assumptions then of mm-hmm. what's risky and what's not. And those are all about our biases and assumptions mm-hmm. and misinformation too. So to me, I think that that's the social justice piece. And that is the part that I think is relevant for all of the infectious diseases that we talk about. They're all relevant. Mm-hmm. But with COVID-19, that is my worry, mm-hmm. is that we'll have a vaccine. Um, and then what? And then probably the people who will be able to have access to it are going to be people who are living in more developed countries mm-hmm. um, where there's more resources. Um where there's actually better quarantine protocols. Because I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that we've seen is that um, not all of the quarantine protocols were followed Mm -hmm. um, in the way that they should have been. And so more people got sick when they Mm -hmm. actually didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. So it's about kind of our humanness Mm -hmm. um, and the mistakes we make and the assumptions we have and not necessarily on the science. And so to me, that's where my role as a social scientist can can come in to say, hey, medicine, I you got the biomedical part going on. Now we have to work on the things like stigma. Um, And that's the thing with with any of the coronaviruses. If we shame people into feeling like they they have to hide their sickness, Mm -hmm. you know, they have to stifle their cough. They have to feign that Mm -hmm. they're okay when they're not. It actually deters people from going to doctors. Mm -hmm. It deters them then from getting the treatment they need and then they spread it faster. Mm -hmm. So that is a very social phenomenon of if we stop shaming people, if we encourage people, go to the doctor when you need to. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to judge you for it. In fact, I support you to do it. Then actually this would not be as big of a problem as it would be. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Korea that um, I think there's still like 300 people that they can't find. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because the the sudden influx right, of the disease was because of the spread in a kind of underground religious um, mm-hmm. kind of a cult organization. Um, and so a lot of the people actually won't admit to having mm-hmm. been at risk at it because they they don't want to be associated with this organization. Mm-hmm. The consequences being if their parents find out or if their family members find out or if their employers mm-hmm. find out that they were associated with this you know, religious cult-like organization, that's going to have social consequences. So people are actually risking their lives and their health mm-hmm. because social ostracism and exclusion and shaming is 
that's how it's more severe. It feels even um, more punishing. So it's completely social, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting because I think people usually kind of draw a, a line between, oh, this is a, a health problem and we need, you know, doctors and medicine to solve it. And mm-hmm. something like you mentioned working on like immigration or with refugees, like that's the, the social problem. And so we need, you know, social policy to address that. But um, yeah, like I've never thought of the kind of connections between those those two before. Mm. Is there a better way for people to like link those those two things or a better way to because a, a lot of a lot of the like sentiment underlying this is this kind of like fear of the of the other right whether they're they're sick or they're just you know in your in your country in your space right mm-hmm. and l- like you've mentioned the coronavirus has the pot- the potential to kind of like make that that fear worse right and mm-hmm. when people start reacting out of fear it's it can be you know even worse than the original perhaps like fear that you know the administration or whatever tries to instill around immigrants or or refugees right so yeah like how can we I guess, act compassionately towards other people when some of this fear is, is justified, mm-hmm. right, in the mm-hmm. case of the, the virus. When I think with all things, they're they're justified. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think all sorts of fears are justified. Um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about immigrant and refugee issues. I do think it's a legitimate concern that there are some people who are misinformed and think, oh my gosh, immigrants are taking over our jobs. Mm-hmm. And so they're wrong about necessarily that fact of mm-hmm. maybe the reason, you know, um, there's less employment for a particular mm-hmm. community is because immigrants have taken the jobs that you would have had. Mm-hmm. That's not true. But what is true is the fear of, well, what about me? Mm-hmm. Well, what, what about my future? What about my stability? Mm-hmm. So I think across situations, it's one thing to honor people's fear, right? Mm-hmm. And validate it. Like it's okay to be scared at a time where we are in public health, physical health, um, pandemic and fear, right? We're moving to a state of, of a stage of world outbreak with mm-hmm. a particular disease. Should we be scared? Absolutely. We are all scared. Um, and then what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. I, that's the social part. And mm-hmm. so the medical part, and then I think that's also physiological too, right? Of like the fight or flight reaction, like mm-hmm. when in times of stress, you know, our, our kind of um, nervous system responds in a way that, that would prepare us actually to have to take action. But what are the consequences of those actions? That's mm-hmm. the so- social part. And what are we perpetuating? And mm-hmm. so I, I'm in no way saying don't be scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm saying be scared and then think about what the ramifications are of our actions. Because mm-hmm. we're all going to be scared. And so for us to quarantine a disease is different than quarantining people and communities. And I think that's mm-hmm. the important thing to think about. Hmm. Yeah. And then maybe just as a... As a final question, do you have any advice for either either specifically for for students or more broadly for the the local community um, in this in, in this time when we haven't maybe seen the disease directly um, around us? We're not we're not quarantined, but there is kind of that that fear and yeah. the social consequences. Yeah, I would say um, advocate for one another, right? And and I um, I like to think of the phrasing "call each other in" as opposed to mm-hmm. "call each other out" mm-hmm. because shame does nothing for us. It doesn't help anybody grow. And so I think when, not if, because this happens actually more often than we are aware of or we want to see, when we see racism happen, when we see discrimination happen, when we see profiling happen, call it in. Mm-hmm. Call it in not to shame somebody for doing it, to say, hey, but I I don't think you mean to do that. 
right? Mm-hmm. This is my benefit of the, of the doubt is that I don't think you meant to hurt somebody. Um, and, you know, intent and impact are a different thing. So mm-hmm. let's be aware of the impact that we're creating on, on other people. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we can do that, it allows us to come together in community during times of fear. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think in times of fear, you can hold on to yourself and be scared and push and reject and discriminate mm-hmm. people. That doesn't take away the fear. You're still scared. Mm-hmm. Why not be scared and find community in being scared mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and be in dialogue and and figure out ways to be able to overcome this together. Mm-hmm. So I think for students, for faculty, for colleagues, for citizens of our our, our world, mm-hmm. um, I think it's important for us to call things in mm-hmm. where uh, that includes when we see bad things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to help each other out of like, hey, don't forget to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, you're, you just touched your face. You know, given kind of our mm-hmm. understanding now of how diseases spread, like that can be really dangerous. So wash your hands. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is an opportunity for us. Unfortunately, this is the circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. But it is an opportunity for us as a community to come together and take care of each other mm-hmm. and to know we stand together against the disease as opposed to we stand against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm. which does nothing to make the disease less scary. Mm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this conversation. I think it'll be helpful for people to hear. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Check out the website at VoicesOfSantaClara.com for some shortened transcripts. And you can like the Facebook page and follow on Twitter. I'll see you next time.